Anybody on social media has seen it. Dueling posts arguing over a hot political issue. The protagonists in these online debates are generally sincere, but today's guess is that too many of us remain unaware of the media biases that shape our understanding of the world. She's Vanessa Otero this week on Story in the Public Square. Hello and welcome to Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. Joining me from his home in Rhode Island is my friend and co-host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal. Each week, we talk about big issues with great guests, authors, journalists, artists, and more to make sense of the big stories that shape public life in the United States today. This week, we're joined by Vanessa Otero, founder and CEO of AdFontes Media, but you probably have seen her work as the creator of the Media Bias Chart. Vanessa, thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So I was telling you before we started that uh, my, my stepson was actually the one who discovered uh, the Media Bias Chart a couple of years ago on social media. For those who haven't had the benefit of his exposure to the world, uh, tell us what the Media Bias Chart is. Yeah, if you can just visualize a two-dimensional graph, uh, x-axis, y-axis, and the on the vertical side, it's uh, reliability, news value and reliability. So generally people recognize, you know, good at the top, okay in the middle, bad at the bottom, and all the things those mean. And then left to right, uh, you politically political bias. And we plot uh, logos of news sources on those, on that chart. So. It's evolved over the years. Uh, there have been several different iterations that have floated around the internet, but it tends to spark a lot of discussion because everyone uh, looks for their favorite news sources and their least favorite news sources and uh, likes to talk about where they are and where they think they should be and all the stuff that comes with that. So how did this come to be? Because you're not a, a media analyst by training, you're a patent attorney. How, how did this come yeah. to be? <laughs> Yes, well, I'm a media analyst now, but uh, about uh, four years ago, just over four years ago, in the run-up to the 2016 election, you know, working my uh, day job as a patent attorney, but I've always been, you know, politics and uh, news junkie. I just, I just love it, and it was bothering me how people would argue on social media about, uh, you know, just things that they disagree with. In particular, they would throw links at each other from different, like, polarizing websites that uh, did nothing, nothing to convince the people on the other side. And I just thought it might facilitate conversation to kind of lay it out visually, you know, that concept I had in my head that, you know, there are some that are better and worse for different reasons. There's some news, source, news sources that are more or less biased for different reasons. And we don't, don't talk about them in a very intelligent way. 
so I, as a hobby, because I'm a huge nerd and I consider this a hobby. <laughs> Look, you're in good company with us. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, spent a few weeks, you know, looking at various uh, media sources that I was familiar with and then some new ones and came up with a system for like, for classifying them and just threw it together like on a Microsoft Visio program, which is what I use for patent drawings in my job, I'm not a graphic design kind of person at all. So it's kind of ugly actually. And uh, I put it online uh, to talk to my friends about it. And it just went way viral beyond my wildest expectations. So the professed ambition of Ed Fontes is, I'm gonna quote from, from your website, to make news consumers smarter and news media better. Those are lofty goals. Break that down for us. Yeah, they're very lofty goals. And I think we're at this point where everybody realizes that there are is a problem. And I think we've been there for a while. There are problems with our news ecosystem, there's uh, toxicity in it, there's you know, misinformation, disinformation, polarization, uh, and they have resulted in really dire consequences, especially this year. I mean, just think of the death toll of COVID misinformation and the uh, you know, death and destruction of violence uh, from election disinformation, just as a couple of examples, but there's so many more. And, you know, you know, just uh, putting out polls about, oh, look, people don't trust the news. Oh, look, um, people are people are more polarized than ever. I'm kind of tired of just seeing that information. Like, we know there's a problem. So what do we do ab about it? And uh, what I learned from you know, putting this uh, map of the media landscape out there, that there was this, this baseline need for people to understand where news sources fall in terms of reliability and bias, because various different stakeholders in good news media have a role to play. It's not just you know one, uh, you know it's not just consumers. There's not just educators teaching media literacy. It's not just you know the social platforms. Everyone has a role to play in uh, making the news media ecosystem better, but one thing that we can provide to all those stakeholders is these news uh, content ratings, which haven't really existed before. So you also state who you consider to be the stakeholders. And I think this is a very good summary. Uh, and those include consumers, educators, journalism outlets, researchers, advertisers, advertisers, and social media platforms. Talk about that. I mean, that that's really that's probably all of us <laughs> one way or another. Right. There's probably some overlap there too as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as consumers, just as a baseline, uh, trying to determine the credibility and bias of news sources ourselves, be aware of it, and importantly, not spread misinformation. Uh, and, and just educating yourself is, uh, is, is part of that. And that's, that's something we do. Uh, for educators, being able to teach media literacy more effectively and more widely. I mean, there's a huge push, especially in uh, the subset of media literacy that is news literacy, because it's just become such a problem recently uh, to integrate these kind of new curricula in schools. But not everybody's in school. Not everybody has a chance or the, the time, the inclination, or the ability to discern news sources for themselves. So while that's the ideal, you know, folks that are in positions of power in the media and in distributing our media content uh, need to take responsibility for what they put out there. So for publishers, you know, 
the news business is a tough business and it's changed a lot in the last few years for publishers to uh, be able to pursue a business model uh, and then avoid the temptation of you know, putting up clickbait or you know, lots of opinion sources in, in the place of news, you know, punditry instead of reporting. You know, that's a tricky balance that a lot of uh, publishers have to grapple with. You know, I'm a historian by training, and I uh, had a reason not to, too long ago to look at some local newspapers from the 1930s. I'm talking about small town local newspapers uh, that were chock full of world news. Uh, and, and that media environment is so different and so foreign to us today that I'm just curious sort of the reaction you've gotten from uh, the, the publishers of the world, whether we're talking about a, a social media publisher or a, a, a fine print book publisher or the, the, the sort of the, the broadcast and print media that are the mainstay of America's public uh, forums these days. You know, honestly, the folks that are interested in uh, making the media better, you know, the you know, journalists are among the most dedicated professionals to any profession you can find. Uh, they, they do it for the love. They do it for the passion. It's hard, hard work. Uh, and they want to be doing the, the right thing, the, the good thing um, in when they're working at these good publications, right? So the response has been incredible. I mean, uh, major news organizations care about where they fall on the media bias chart. Now at the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, in the bottom corners, you can imagine they are like not a big fan of uh, my company and my work, right? Um, but to, I mean, almost to uh, every, each one, they know what they're doing. I mean, if you are putting out, you know, purposely polarizing, dehumanizing, vilifying, uh, misleading, and uh, fake content. You know, you're doing it because you want to uh, attract a certain audience. You know, there is money to be made. Uh, it's a business you know, model. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, different folks on different parts of the spectrum like us and don't like us for those reasons. How, how many news sources do you look at and analyze? I mean, you see several of them, obviously, or many, many of them. How many in total? Do, do you have a number? Yeah, uh, currently right now we have uh, about 330 fully rated uh, publications on our interactive uh, media bias chart. And in order to be fully rated, you know, we uh, need at least you know, 13 to 15 uh, news articles uh, per news source, news or news-like source. And uh, we've got about you know, 500 or so partially rated. So we keep adding, right now we're adding about 80 to 100 new publishers to our uh, interactive media bias chart in, in our database every month. So, so, so I'm yeah. curious, how, how do you, uh, I guess it's uh, two questions. One is about the methodology. So how do you, yeah. how do you actually rate these, uh, these, these uh, outlets? And who actually is doing it? Like, do you have a team of uh, analysts that are looking at this stuff? Yep, absolutely. So we're really lucky. Our analysts are the best people. They are, uh, you know, they're a lot of them are journalists, uh, teachers, uh, but others have, you know, a really wide background, uh, backgrounds, different professional backgrounds, and uh, they are paid analysts. They work uh, pretty significant part-time hours for us, and they rate news sources in panels of 
uh, right leaning, center leaning, left leaning analyst. So three, like one of each, will be in a, a Zoom room together rating articles for each particular news source. So our methodology is, you know, article by article. It's a content analysis methodology. So we look at a number of sub factors for reliability. Uh, we call them expression, veracity, headline, and graphic are the most important ones. And then uh, for bias, we have several sub factors, uh, which are political position, language, and comparison. And there are, you know, different universes in each one of those things. So each of our analysts has gone through uh, several weeks of training before actually getting into uh, analysis sessions. And now they've got, uh, you know, we've been doing this for about um, six months with a full analyst team uh, consistently now. Before that, we had some volunteers. Uh, before that, like back in the day, it was just me, but that was just, you know, very, that was just biased because it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> So these are analysts that come come from the political spectrum, from left to right. Is that correct? I, Absolutely. I that, that's such an important point. So maybe you can elaborate on that. This isn't, you know, just one group of people who are solely left, solely right, solely in the middle. It, it sounds like right. there's a real balance here, which can allow you to be objective in a way that, you know, just looking at page views or whatever, some other methodology would not allow. Can can you elaborate right. on that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's really important to uh, to gain trust and to have transparency that you have a uh, broad coalition of folks that are looking at this through an a, a objective as possible methodology. All humans are biased. Each one of us are, are biased on our team. Uh, so the best we can do is try to mitigate bias. So the the scores for each article and and then rolled up to the source the scores for each source. Are, uh, are averages of the of the ratings, but what we found is because of our methodology, uh, folks from left, right, and center generally come to the same neighborhood of scores on a particular article. So if you look at a left-leaning opinion piece from the New York Times, the left person and the right person and the center person are all going to say this is left-leaning opinion, right? I mean, it might be off by a few points here and there, but you know, the more granular you get, the more you agree and it's not uh, your political opinion and viewpoint does uh, factor in. It does make help you see things that maybe the other person doesn't see, but then uh, we can resolve discrepancies just uh, in person live uh, come to really high levels of agreement. Uh, and so it's an average and uh, each score is an average and the media bias chart therefore isn't doesn't represent the reality of any one person's view. It's sort of a composite reality of these well-trained, politically astute analysts. So, so you talk about these Zoom meetings in which you hash this out. Do, do they ever, uh, for lack of a better term, get lively or contentious? Or I imagine they probably would at some point. I mean, from time to time, but uh, a lot less than I, I than I originally expected, honestly. And our, like I said, our analysts are the best, and I really mean that. Uh, so, what helps is the format because it's not like a discussion group, like you know, left, right, and center person are going to try to uh, convince each other that their political viewpoint on a thing is the correct one. You know, that can get the <laughs> that that's that's really hard. You're looking at an article. And the article might be about a very difficult subject, a uh, very polarizing subject. I mean, we have someone to choose from, you know, abortion and uh, guns and uh, race, right? There's so many polarizing topics. 
But what the analysts are saying is, I think this is more or less reliable because of this sentence or this, you know, inclusion or exclusion of something, or I think this is more left or right biased because of similar factors, like these words, these characterizations. And so they're seeing, they're seeing things from their point of view politically, but they're talking about the article. So it's like a level of, an abst of abstraction, which does help, um, you know, reduce that kind of, um, uh, any discord. I won't say there's no discord, right? Um, people certainly can disagree about these things, um, but everyone's really great about handling those. Now, how, do you, how do you decide who gets rated? Well, it's been a, a, a process as we've grown. So we get a lot of requests as we've- uh, Pe People who want start. to be rated? Um, well, sometimes, sometimes from the publishers, uh, but mostly from uh, consumers. You know, people come to our website, I and that was the first thing uh, when I first put out this media bias chart. They're like, ah, "Well, what about this one?" <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of them out there. There are thousands and thousands of news sources out there, and you know, for it's you know, it, we started with just uh, you know online web content. But, you know, there's a whole world there, right? So some of the online content also has print content. And then there's TV content. And you can't really leave out that, especially your uh, MSNBC, Fox, and CNN, right? So we have to do that. Um, we've actually just uh, recently gotten into podcast content. Uh, and it's so our methodology allows us to rate any piece of content. Some obviously take longer than others. But you know, it's very similar methodology. So to get back to your original question, you know, we would first start with um, you know the most requested. But then, as we uh, you know, if we didn't have any uh, particular requests, we just go by like uh, Alexa uh, rankings for um, for web traffic. Uh, that was a a first way. But uh, we get so many requests now from uh, the people who come to our site that. You know, we won't run out for a long time. We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard four times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at J.M. Lutis. Joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist with the Providence Journal and the author of 19 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter, too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is Vanessa Otero. She's the CEO of Ad Fontes Media, a company that helps all of us understand the bias in the news media. And she's the creator of the viral media bias chart, now in its seventh generation. You can follow Vanessa on Twitter at VL Otero. That's V-L-O-T-E-R-O. -E so Vanessa, do you ever go back and look at a, a news source that you've previously rated and see if they've changed because some news sources do change their political views over over the months and years. Not all do, but some certainly do change. 
Yes, absolutely. And that's a really important part of, of what we do. We, we come out with updates all the time and not just to add new new sources, but to uh, show any significant ones that have have moved. So we are in the process of you know making regular periodic updates. We're at the point now where we have so many sources that we've uh, got to consistently um, go back and every quarter add new ratings to existing sources. Um, one way we've done that over the years is you know, by keeping track of current events. You know when people talk about uh, what uh, various news sources are doing, you know, we turn and pay attention to those. So. Uh, you know, there are sources go in and out of existence all the time. Uh, that's one reason we need to do it. Um, you know, like you said, some sources change, like uh, IJR is one that's like a fairly new news source in the last, you know, 10 years or so. They shifted from, uh, you know, right to center to not just like a little bit center right. I mean, it's you substantially changed its character. Um, you know, the, the blaze has uh, changed uh, a little bit over the years, back and forth. Um, and notably during the, um, you know, this election, the post-election season, especially there, uh, there was a real divergence you'd see on sources on the right. And there were some that really went in on that were, you know, kind of a mix of reliability and had like middling scores, uh, particularly uh, OAN, Newsmax and Epic Times that really went in really hard on election disinformation, like as a choice. So, you know, going back and just adding a few samples of those uh, really uh, dropped their scores. Whereas other sources that were sort of in the similar area were publishing fact checks about, you know, election disinformation. Um, you know, the conservative sources publishing fact checks, um, you know, informing their conservative audiences, like, you know, the news over there, that disinformation is disinformation. So you'd, you'd see this uh, spread. Those kind of things happen uh, periodically from time to time. It's not it just it doesn't just happen on the right either. So you you don't have ads. Um, so how do you support yourselves financially? What what is the funding? Because this is a large enterprise, clearly. Uh, well, we're we're getting there. Um, we've <laughs> so we're a public benefit corporation, which is a for profit corporation with a stated public mission, and uh, you know that's our that's our entity uh, status. Now, why are we for profit? You know, a lot of folks uh, kind of assume that because of the nature of we, the work we do and just educating the public, uh, we have some education products that you know, might be a nonprofit or something like that. But your content analysis is time consuming, labor intensive and hard uh, to do accurately. And there's a lot of it out there. You know, we plan to uh, address some of the you know, issues of scale the like sheer scale of the problem through some automation, but it's not this thing that you can just like wave a wand and like AIify it and then like get these you know correct ratings. Um, if that was the case, you know, the uh, biggest tech companies in the world would have done it already. So you know how to solve this problem of you know making a business out of what we do. Well, it turns out there's a huge need for uh, these news content ratings for consumers, for educators. You know, we have a education uh, media literacy product. Uh, it's a SUMA curriculum and it allows students to, and uh, teachers to rate articles, learn how to rate them according to their our, our methodology and create their own versions of their media bias chart for their classroom or their school. Uh, and then we have, uh, we have uh, brand safety products. So I mentioned advertisers have a big role to play in uh, the news fixing the news ecosystem. Uh, 
brands are what fund good journalism and polarizing junk news, and they don't have a way to distinguish between the two. So our data we've incorporated into products uh, for websites and podcasts so advertisers can tell what their ad dollars are going to. You know, Vanessa, I, I looking at the chart, I'm struck by the presence of Sputnik and RT, uh, formerly Russia Today, uh, on the right-hand side of that spectrum. Um, mm -hmm. And these are, are these are Russian government-controlled uh, media platforms that that's been well documented have been active in everything from election interference to just uh, disinformation campaigns, not just in the United States but around the world. Right. Do you see any comparable plays by government-owned? Uh, uh, media outlets on the left, or is this concentrated mostly in the right right now? It, you know, that's a fascinating thing to study. Uh, we found, you know, we made sure that we rated some extra samples from RT and Sputnik because, uh, you know, they're it, it's sort of insidious how they, they go about it. You know, the, the score is like on the right. But like, it's not the worst. It's not, you know, they are certainly known for publishing disinformation. However, if you go to the site regularly and read samples of their articles, many are just innocuous and they're like valid news reporting. And I think that's a strategy. It's a, it's a strategy to retain uh, audiences. I mean, they've hired like reputable journalists from the United States. Those, or is RT in particular, is uh, directed at U.S. audiences, and then when they throw in uh, polarizing uh, stories, they're not always necessarily right-leaning. They're more; they, they tend to be more often than not. But sometimes they're just sort of uh, generally anti-American sentiments that folks on the left and right m might both find appealing. Uh, we we haven't come across any um, it, any you know foreign state media. Uh, trying to do similar things that are more left-leaning. Um, you know, South China Morning Post is, is is rated on our chart, and it does skew left, but it, it really has a character of a lot of our uh, left, you know, slightly left-leaning mainstream media, if you were. So you have AP and UPI in the neutral or balanced bias category, and that, that was no surprise, certainly to, to me. But also there, this did surprise me, you have stars and stripes and military times right there in the middle, meaning mm -hmm. they're not partial, not leaning strongly left or right. Talk about that. Yeah, so- How, how do they wind up there? Well, you know- And, and we got point. about a minute left, Vanessa. Sure. So, you know, the middle is, you know, we try to capture what the middle is in the United States, not what we'd like it to be or you know, what it should be. The middle is not necessarily morally right or correct by any means, and it shifts over time, right? So uh, the left-right spectrum is anchored by contemporary U.S. Uh, political positions as uh, expressed by our own elected officials. And so that's, uh, you know, uh, straight fact reporting uh, about things that, you uh, that are balanced or minimally biased, that's the kind of thing that will land uh, something like military times and stars and trips in the middle. Do you, in, the, in, the, in about the 20 seconds we've got left, do you see any, uh, any migration from those bottom dwellers up? I mean, we talked about the left right migration, but you know, um, the folks who are in that less than accurate, uh, <laughs> less than credible category, do they ever percolate up towards more respectable news sources? Usually not. I mean, there's um, junk food exists for a reason. Some people like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where we're going to have to leave it. Vanessa Otera, 
The company is Ad Fontes Media, and it's the media bias chart. Thank you so much for being with us. That's all the time we have this week. But if you want to know more about storing the public square, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit PellCenter.org, where you can always catch up on previous episodes. For G. Wayne Miller, I'm Jim Lutis, asking you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square.